0: Welcome all. I'm Chris B. Herrera, President of Associated Builders and Contractors of Utah, and a big warm welcome to our ABC members and all listeners of Constructive Conversations, the podcast by ABC Utah. Again, our aim is to provide our audience with a conduit for intelligent information sharing and the engagement of an entire industry as we explore people, politics, policy, leadership, and community dialogue that helps us to develop our industry. Based on the Merit Shop philosophy, we help our members develop people, win work, and deliver that work safely, ethically, and profitably for the betterment of the communities in which we work. Before we get started, we want to give a big shout-out and a thank you to our ABC Diamond sponsors, Mountain States Fence, r Construction, Wadman Corporation, Keir Corporation, Whitaker Construction, Big D Construction, Select Health cap construction and sink constructors thank you abc members your continued support makes all of this possible so let's get started and i'd like to introduce our constructive conversations podcast guest natalie gochner natalie
1: welcome nice to be with you chris
0: ABC is honored to have you um, as our podcast guest. Natalie serves as an associate dean in the David Eccles School of Business and director of the Cam C. Gardner Policy Institute at the University of Utah. She also serves as the chief economist for the Salt Lake Chamber, and she really does lead the state's premier public policy institute, connecting the Eccles School with the business community through applied economic and business research. I want to I share a little bit of her background so our listeners can kind of get a feel for who they're listening to. Her experience in public policy development includes advisors to past governors, political appointee in the George W. Bush administration, associate administrator at the EPA, and counselor to the Secretary of Health and Human Services. Wow. Welcome, Natalie. <laughs> nice
1: to be with you. Thank you.
0: Yeah, so Natalie, if you could start us off and, and tell our listeners a little bit about the Kemsy Gardner Policy Institute and what it is that you do and how Utah business owners can use the institute as a resource.
1: Happy to do that. Uh, Gardner Institute, you'll find it at gardner.utah.edu. We are a public policy institute that specializes in the Utah economy, demographics, and survey research. We have a team of about 30 uh, research professionals and our goal is to help Utah decision-makers make informed decisions. We're independent, nonpartisan, and uh, really just uh, shed light so that people can uh, use that light to make informed decisions.
0: It's it's a great entity, and business owners out there, if you're not using that resource, you need to jump on and, and check that institute out. It's You'll use the information with your business and your projections. Um, I, I also wanted to mention that the listeners might want to follow Natalie on um, KCPW where she co-hosts a weekly radio program titled Both Sides of the Aisle. So who better to talk to us today about Utah's economic projections and how that all pertains to the construction industry than Natalie. So let's start with your radio program. So Both Sides of the Aisle, the title gives us pretty much an indicator of of what that show is possibly about and what the content is about but what can listeners expect when they're tuning in?
1: Well, we have on the right, Senator Dan McKay, and on the left, uh, Councilwoman Shireen Gorbani. I get to represent the political middle. Uh, My big gripe is that when we call it both sides of the aisle, we're ignoring the middle, the political middle, (laughs) just by the title. Uh, Good point. But we have fun. Um, The neat thing about both sides of the aisle is it's, uh, you know, 25 minutes of commentary among friends. And the, it shows that you can disagree without being disagreeable. And uh, Senator McKay gives us a good insights about what's happening in the legislature. Shereen Gorbani helps us with the capital county, Salt Lake County. And I take my over three decades of experience working for Utah governors and the business community to add a, a bit of um, productive middle uh, sensibilities.
0: And there's certainly a lot to talk about right about now, right?
1: Oh, there's no shortage of that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so a question I like to ask all of our guests to help give the audience a little bit of insight about who they're engaging with. Um, the first question is, what is the last book you read and what was your takeaway?
1: Hmm. I have two millennial children. They uh, continue to shape me as I hope I shape them. Uh, because of the really tragic um you know, situation, the, the murder of George Floyd. Uh, I have been trying to read everything I can to help me understand uh, social justice, uh, racial inequalities, um, you know, racist policies, anti-racist policies. Our Lieutenant Governor, Spencer Cox, has encouraged everybody to read the book, Just Mercy. And I finished that a couple of weeks ago. It's by Brian Stevenson. Bryan is, a, is an attorney who uh, started a legal practice in the South and helped, uh, you know, really defend uh, people who don't have the means to defend themselves. And it's a very eye-opening read about some of the challenges people face in our country. And uh, it's simultaneously infuriating and also uh, thought provoking.
0: Uh, Thanks for the title. And it's called Just Mercy and the Author again, Natalie?
1: Brian Stevenson.
0: Brian Stevenson. And uh, thanks for bringing that up because I've got a couple of questions for you as we kind of get into our conversation today on on that current climate here. So thanks for bringing that up. Um, On that same note, what magazines do you subscribe to? You
1: know, I love The Economist magazine. It's the best periodical on the economy in the English speaking world. And so I'm an avid reader of The Economist. I also like a magazine called the Week. And I don't know if your listeners are familiar with The Week. I'll have one on my desk here somewhere. But uh, what I love about The Week is it summarizes the past week and gives you all of the best columns and you know issues in a very summary format. does not have advertising. It's very short. But if you want a very cogent, brief, very journalistic read of what's going on in the world, uh, I highly recommend The Week
0: good tips good good rating content um in this time of pandemic um and in in the midst of the social dialogue that we're also in some may call it chaos certainly it's a challenging time um and, and a time of change what are you most curious about right now
1: chris i've been spending a little bit of time thinking about uh, structural change and behavioral change and uh I'm I'm trained in economics, so structural change will be when things change in the economic structure and and make a different uh, future moving forward. Sometimes, you know, things like an aging population create structural change. Uh, But right now, I've been really interested in behavioral change. And the reason is we need to change our behavior to get rid of this uh, pandemic. And uh, there's a lot of literature that would suggest that government can mandate something. But that doesn't really change human behavior. And so what I'm more interested in is what actually changes behavior. and I'll read, I'll reference specifically the wearing of masks and face coverings because there's considerable evidence that that's the best thing we can do right now to help us. But we've gotta we got change.
0: And it seems that that dialogue maybe sometimes goes down the path of um, being political instead of just change to stop the pandemic and the spread.
1: Yeah, yeah, certainly face coverings uh, were politicized in our country. Uh, You can point fingers a whole bunch of different ways as you think about that, but I'm not really interested in the political part. I'm just interested in the really uh, solid evidence that we have that it can help us. And we have this dual need to have our economy functioning so that we can take care of human need and protect human health. And the closest thing we have right now to doing both is wearing face coverings. So I'm actively thinking about and reading about everything I see says that structural change is actually easier than behavioral change.
0: That was my next question.
1: Well, yeah. Structural change is hard enough. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, let's let's move into the into the discussion topics um, for today. And I, I think what we'd like our listeners to to get a feel for is after COVID-19 or during COVID-19, what the projections for the state economic-wise is going to be, and is it too soon to tell? And then also we'll kind of drill down right and specifically get into construction.
1: Okay.
0: So um, what's the overall economic pulse of the the business community in Utah right now? Can you talk about the general overall confidence and how Utah industry is feeling about the performance of the economy and a look ahead?
1: Well, we are... Uh, just in the midst of a COVID-19 recession, it's been painstakingly difficult. The COVID-19 recession will be talked about as being extremely sudden, very severe, and quite uneven. In other words, affected different people, different industries differently. I think there's been a significant loss of opportunity, uh, of confidence, and even hope. And even, uh, it sounds... um, Quite descriptive, and I mean it to be that way, but it's the equivalent of an economic body blow. This has been very, very difficult for our state. Having said that, uh, there's also considerable evidence that Utah has done much better economically speaking than others. Uh, as we record this, the May 2020 numbers, uh, our unemployment rate is uh, at 8.5 percent, nationally it's 13.3, uh, second lowest in the country here in Utah. And the contraction in the economy, Utah's contract, contracted in jobs by 4.8%. Nationally, it's more than double that, minus 11.8%. So I studied the Utah economy and I see some very troubling uh, economic numbers, but we're doing far better than our national counterparts.
0: And In a nutshell, what do you contribute those successful numbers to in relation to the national numbers of unemployment and and
1: pulling back in? Well, our state had a a plan, a very quick plan. Um, Governor Herbert released a plan, I think it was like on March 24th. That was pretty amazing to have a plan to rally behind. He introduced the economic phases of urgent stabilization and recovery, uh, gave us hope, gave us structure. Uh, very shortly after that, within a month, had color coded health guidelines out on the street to help uh, business know how to conduct themselves safely. Uh, I got to give a lot of credit to Utah businesses uh, and to Utahs for following public health guidance, with the exception of uh, once our state uh, went from orange to yellow. And I, you know, we haven't done that everywhere, but th- the governor was very clear that this is a dial, that it's not a light switch. And uh, I fear that our most recent uh, surge in cases is largely uh, because we've, we went back to green too quickly in our behavior. And so while the economic data uh, sh- still looks good for our state, the health data has been a cause for great concern.
0: Is there any chance that the governor will pull us back into the previous phase?
1: Yeah, Governor Herbert's been really clear that he won't shut the economy down again, and I don't think he will do that. But he does definitely have a dial, and I'm certain uh, has the tools and the ability to to, uh, do a whole bunch of things. I mean, he's given permission for the Salt Lake County mayor to, uh, you know, require face coverings in Salt Lake County. He's shown a lot of um, flexibility for local control. If local health departments and local leaders are asking for things, he's he's shown a willingness to support uh, local control. So, uh, certainly have those tools, but I think most importantly, we really get to control our own destiny just by our own choices. And every economic plan for COVID-19 starts with follow public health guidelines (laughs) because the virus gets to pick, not us.
0: So, and again, that's part of that behavioral change.
1: Yeah, it sure is. But I I should say though, Chris, you know, that sounds, I think the worst is over. I think our job loss losses peaked in April of 2020. I think our recovery now will be a gradual, everyone's calling it a Nike swoosh, not a V-shaped, but a Nike swoosh. Okay. Uh, we did sustain so far, uh, relatively less economic damage than other states. And uh, our, our recovery really depends on our adaptations, our policy interventions, and clearly medical science. And we won't have a complete recovery until we have a vaccine.
0: Right. Right. Um, and I know there's, there's different timelines depending on who you listen to, but what are you seeing coming out of the scientific world about when that vaccine will be? I understand there's some in trial trials right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the most optimistic s- scenario is by the first of the year. And I think the more likely is the spring, spring of 2021. But uh, I think we should all uh, know that pandemics do end, <laughs> that we just have to get through this. Uh, I've encouraged businesses to have a two-year plan that would have started in March, 2020. And that's just to take the um, attitude of uh, an abundance of caution to have the two-year plan. I would also encourage businesses to have scenarios. Um, The scenarios right now are, you know, new normal green and a rapid vaccine. That's the best case scenario. There's also a scenario of hotspots or, or, you know, flare ups that could be geographic or by industry so we got to be prepared for those. And then there's a third scenario that none of us like to talk about, but that is of the second wave or something more serious that comes in the fall, right. winter. Right. I think all of those are worthy of, of planning for, because we don't know. You asked, your first question was, you know, what's the vibe that you feel in the economy? Uh, the vibe right now is a lot of uncertainty. And um, so what do you do when you have uncertainty? You create a directionally correct plan, and iterate as you get more information.
0: Um, And that uncertainty is certainly um, indicative of the way the stock market's been performing, up and then down, and then it makes a recovery, and then down, and... Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the growth of the state in terms of population projections and hotspots for development um, and economic activity in the next two and a half years, five years, long
1: range? The Gardner Institute are experts on uh, Utah demographics. Our team has looked at uh, the COVID-19 impact, and you know we we think that it's very much a short-term impact, not a long-term impact. And so we believe that Utah will continue to be a growth state, the um, rapid growth areas. And, and again, I'm in the in the 20 to 50 year horizon here, right? So I'm doing long-term projections at this point. Okay. But the ring counties, so those are the counties around Salt Lake, uh, Davis, Weber, the ring counties around our urban counties, uh, Summit, Wasatch, Juab, uh, the southern part of Utah County, Tooele. those will continue to be very uh, rapidly growing counties. Certainly southwest Utah, uh, gets the, this is Washington County and uh, Iron County where St. George and Cedar City are. And then the real uh, growth engine right now to be thinking about is Utah County. Utah County is our second largest county. Of course, it's where Provo is. It has uh, available land supply in close proximity to an urban setting. And it makes it so that it has enormous potential to continue to grow. And in our 50-year projections, we have Utah County almost reaching the size of Salt Lake County. those are some of the growth dynamics that your members can look for.
0: Um, thank you for that. And then if I could back up a little bit and you, you said earlier that, that the pandemic, the, the result is just short term. So how do you define short term in Utah?
1: Yeah. And, and I, I'll, I want to be careful because I do think that this uh, pandemic has created structural changes that are by definition, longer term, and we can talk through those if you'd like. Okay. But, but in the, But by short term, what I mean is the pandemic will end, people that have been furloughed will be returning to their jobs, we won't be wearing masks, inevitably, you know, for the rest of our lives. Uh, We've got a very unique situation that we're going to work through. And it's a new risk that we manage. And as we manage it, uh, life will feel much more normal again. At least I have that confidence.
0: Okay, There's, there's some hope we can all look to. (laughs) <laughs> um, and then, can, yeah, could you talk to the structural changes long-term?
1: So uh, an economist thinks of structural changes as things that affect our economic structure. Um, we have seen the trouble with a, a global supply chain that has some unpredictability to it, that has a lot of risk to it. I love to drink Fresca. It's I've been having trouble finding Fresca on the shelves. It's because the sweetener is made in China. Uh, I think that the Coca-Cola company is going to find suppliers that are domestic for Fresca. That's just, you know, me thinking about it, right?
0: Sure. Good example, though.
1: Yeah, we think supply chains are going to get shorter and shorter and more dependable. And they use the term instead of just in time to just in case. So just in time would just be, you know, so efficient, you don't have to store it, you get this really inexpensive supply chain, and then you have it to run with a very efficient supply chain. But But it's also very brittle and can fall apart quickly. So shorter supply chains will be a big structural change and that's one that can benefit Salt Lake City and the surrounding area because we're at the center of the um, interior western United States which gives us huge uh, supply chain advantages, right? We're halfway between Mexico and Canada, halfway between the Continental Divide and the Pacific Ocean, The railroad has five different spurs going all different directions out of Salt Lake City, Uh, this big international airport that we've uh, just built or almost finished with, and then I-15, I-80, I-84, I-70. Those are really huge transportation assets in the interior western United States and so one of the structural changes will be uh, potentially a global logistics hub that would change the Utah economy here. And then the last one I'll mention, there's lots of others, but uh, think about commercial real estate and how telework might change or remote work might change the economics of commercial real estate. Or think about how the layout of commercial real estate uh, square footage could change the structure because of of social distancing practices. And um, those are just a few of the structural changes that we're all going to have to figure out.
0: And the real estate structural change is always, um, contractors are always paying attention because construction is always tied to what commercial real estate is doing. So we'll have to keep our eye on that. Absolutely. Um, next question, and, and this may this may be too soon to ask, but what do you think the new norm looks like for growth and prosperity in Utah's economy during and after COVID-19? Mm-hmm.
1: No, I think what I've seen would tell me that there will be winners and losers. So there will be some industries that this change actually advantages and some that it actually hurts. That's what I mean when I say the unevenness of it. A a good example there would be that um, anything that deals with home improvement projects, nesting, (laughs) uh, creating more security in the home environment, Those things are probably going to be with us for a while, you know, and I follow tax revenue, sales tax revenues quite closely and sales tax revenue from eating and drinking and restaurants all dropped from retail trade dropped, but home centers went up. Mm -hmm. Even in your, uh, in your construction sector, uh, I talked to um, Staker Parson executive who told me that the decorative rocks and things around homes shot up. Well, I should
0: know that because I just bought some last week.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, it's just an example of how this shock to our system creates changes in purchasing patterns. And one of the new normals is that there are winners and losers. And there's an obligation if you're on the winning side to help those that are on the losing side. And we've seen that, right? We've saw we seen people that were, were buying, uh, you know, take getting takeout just to help these restaurants that we love. Right, right. And uh, we're using a f- significant amount of tax money right now to help with the Paycheck Protection Program or direct payments to individuals. Our state just used CARES Act funding to help our cultural core, to help arts and culture organizations in our state, the symphony, the opera, uh, the theater, you know, museums. And that's what you have to do in a time like this because otherwise the damage is so severe that it's really hard to put it back together
0: and we're all hoping that everybody had a rainy day fund to pull from
1: yeah isn't that a big lesson
0: yeah so if we can transition from from a broad overview of the state's economy to industry specific um, and address some some questions for the utah construction industry specifically based on an abc member nationwide survey conducted between may 20th and june 3rd of 2020 the results indicate that confidence among U.S. construction industry leaders continued to rebound um, because they hit, they hit historical levels in, in April, as everybody knows. And so the confidence of construction contractors around the nation seemed to be rebounding a little bit, even though the numbers from April to May were historically low, and most nearly all contractors experienced some type of delay in projects starts and most contractors are expected those delays to continue into the fall but even with that demographic that number there is some confidence and rebound in the construction industry and there's three key drivers in contractor confidence and that they're designed to gauge the outlook for um, resulting in confidence levels in, in commercial construction and those key drivers are construction backlog revenue and new business for contractors so can you speak to, to one or all three of those metrics here in Utah and what those numbers in your research is projecting for Utah contractors? What are the numbers telling us about construction backlogs and the confidence index in construction?
1: Well, the backlog is one that I think is important, right? So we know in our state something about population growth and household formation and therefore how many new housing units are required. And uh, we know we, ha- we face a housing shortage. We faced it before COVID-19, we're mm-hmm. facing it during COVID-19, and we will still have it after COVID-19. So um, that backlog is very apparent to me. So uh, we're going to continue to have a housing shortage in Utah. When it gets to commercial construction, uh, something interesting there, and I know we may talk about this some more, but the Utah legislature, in my experience, is very interested in continuing to uh, accelerate bonding so that we can continue to build important large projects during a time of economic need and when interest rates are so low. Is that, so, is
0: that including infrastructure?
1: It does, yeah. Okay. So the Utah, the Governor's Utah Leads Together Plan uh, there's four volumes. The fourth volume is on economic recovery and, and um, revitalization. And it, it does it by high horizon, 100-day horizon, 250-day horizon, and 500-day horizon. And in the 250-day horizon, the plan speaks specifically to accelerated bonding. And it defines to pay for uh, needed infrastructure. And it uh, it's, defines infrastructure quite broadly, transportation, water, broadband, outdoor recreation, transit. So it's a it's a broad definition of infrastructure, but it's this idea that we have some, they use the term construction-ready projects. We know that the airport hits a major milestone in September, uh, making it so we may have more uh, need for construction workers uh, once that milestone's hit. So I think you're gonna to continue to see uh, on your key drivers really uh, significant appetite for new building.
0: That's great, we, we want all our contractors to hear that. Um, in Utah, construction makes up 7.0% of the total share of Utah jobs. Um, in the 2020 economic report to the governor and which is produced by the Utah Economic Council, that report forecasted that in 2020, the value of non-residential construction in Utah would be close to 2.06 billion. So what say you about how the industry will perform to those
1: numbers? Hmm. Well, I know quite a bit about the economic report the governor, our office uh, helps pull that together for the economic council. And I can tell you with certainty that we did not know about COVID-19 when we were putting that together in late December. Right, right. He'd heard about it, you know. It was a term, uh, but uh, no concept of what it would do. Uh, I have Chris in my hands. The most recent forecast uh, that the state used for the most recent special legislative session in June 2020, and so it's a it's a quite recent forecast. And you know, we have a really bad second quarter. (laughs) So we artificially, yeah, we artificially just turned our economy off. And uh, so the bad news is that uh, whether it's new dwelling unit permits or whether it's non-residential construction value, 2019 will be the peak. 2020 will be a decline in, in our forecast. The good news is I'm also looking at data that looks at job growth in our state from May of 2019 to May of 2020, fastest growing industry in the state's construction and it has a growth rate over that time period of 7.3%, while the state average is a minus 4.8. percent wow. wow. Yeah, and so construction has that you have this really interesting phenomenon where you're essential, as, as sometimes people define it, you're outdoors, largely, you are a, a very um, high-wage industry that has a large multiplier effect in the economy, and there's just a lot of interest in uh, keeping construction healthy, because it is a lead indicator. Because uh, if you have a healthy construction sector, you can hold up other industries. And I, I think state decision makers know that.
0: Well, and we were we were thankful as an industry to the governor's office and the lawmakers and the state leaders for keeping construction essential as we moved through this shutdown. That certainly allowed our contractors the opportunity to respond to their their the safety on the job sites and um just like every other industry it it was a whirlwind to try to figure out how to respond but we did so successfully and and that certainly is ongoing so as we continue to perform through the pandemic and pandemic or not there's a skilled labor worker shortage not only in utah but nationwide nationwide the number that's being thrown out there is 550,000 skilled worker shortage just for the year 2020 There's some data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics stating that in 2012, for every $1 billion of construction activity, there were 17,000 construction jobs. By 2016, it had decreased by 30% to 11,000 jobs. And in 2018, even though it loosened up a bit, the the number of jobs per billion dollars was still at 38% lower than in 2012. So it's on the decline. Um, and I, I know your, your research shows you that. So even though, you know, like ABC members nationwide on an annual basis spend about $1.5 billion to train and educate a, a safe, educated, and skilled workforce, but still we have a shortfall. So how does that affect Utah's prosperity?
1: Well, if you ask me what is the most important thing to, to develop the Utah economy, I would say uh, a skilled workforce. And uh, Teresa Foxley, who leads the Economic Development Corporation of Utah, I've heard her say that the three most important things to either expanding or new businesses in our state, three of the top five deal with labor. <laughs> it's availability of labor, cost of labor, and quality of labor. And then they'll look at other things. So, um There is no question that a huge part of Utah's prosperity in the past and will be in the future will be our ability to put forward a well-trained and available labor force. Legislature uh, and the governor's office do recognize that, so much so that in their current COVID-19 economic response, one of the major tenets, just like accelerated bonding, is to help fund rapid uh, upskilling and reskilling Of Utah's labor force. So we've had all these people laid off. Um, Most of them are job-attached, so hopefully they can go back to their current employers as we continue to um, recover. But for those that were laid off, most of them will need to be retrained. There's absolutely uh, money to help with that retraining and programs to help with that retraining, and many of them are in the skilled trades.
0: Well, that's good to know. And that kind of leads into my next question. So I, us in the industry feel that it's, you know, it's our responsibility to recruit and educate in the industry. But how can the industry engage at the state level to recruit and train skilled labor? How can we participate? Yeah.
1: Well, I think uh, in my experience, you do participate. And I just mean that there's a lot of good that comes from ABC. There's a lot of good that comes from chambers of commerce that your members also participate in. And uh, if I were to give a piece of advice, it would be to help uh, state decision makers know that all the problems they think about, whether it's poverty or the achievement gap or inequality, or let's just keep thinking even air quality, In the end, they often roll back to the education of the the human soul. In other words, does a person have the ability to go out and be engaged in gainful employment that supports them or their families? And if we can invest early in education and often, like through the whole life cycle, it pays dividends for our state.
0: And certainly we would look to all all industry to participate in that. What is the one biggest detriment to the growth of the state's economy that that you see right now, um, excluding the COVID-19 conversation? And I don't know, maybe that has to be part of the conversation.
1: So just to make sure I understand the question, not counting COVID-19, what are you worried about? Yeah. Well, I have a few things things (laughs) on my list, but... um... The the ones that you often see, you know, so we need to reform our taxes. We need to fix our air quality. Uh, we need to modernize public and higher education. I mean, you know, you, we need to solve education governance. I mean, I have a long list of things that, um, that concern me. Um, but maybe if I were to pick just one, this is sort of philosophical, but I feel an incredible need to unify as a country and as citizenry. And I don't think we can understate how difficult it's been to be in policy turmoil in Washington, D.C., not pointing fingers at either party, but more pointing fingers at just our citizenship, Uh, meaning we have a responsibility as citizens to solve problems and to come together. So that would be the highest thing on my list is figuring out how to have more unity and less dysfunction.
0: And I, I think that's um, part of that uncertainty, and I know it certainly keeps me awake at night, and I would, I would bet that that's, that's a lot of what, not just business owners, but, the, you know, the citizen is how do we unify and, become, and come together as a country. So on, on June 23rd, Associated Builders and Contractors at the national level announced that it's partnering with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce on a national initiative to address inequality of opportunity. Um, and, that, and simply put, that means to address the inequality through education, employment, entrepreneurship, and criminal justice reform. How can the Utah construction industry engage in this dialogue at the state level?
1: You know, we are all asking that question right now, and um, meaning we're asking the question, what do we do? How can we help? I have this uh, research staff. We're asking the question of ourselves. What, what do we do to help us uh, make a sea change here? I think the evidence, whether you look at racial disparities or economic disparities or uh, the criminal justice challenges we have, and then the outright bad actors that do bad things in our society, there's just evidence that we need to change. And um, so if you're asking me what can your membership do to engage at the state level, I guess I would say uh, volunteer your time to be a part of the conversation. Uh, be present, engage, uh, make sure that decision makers understand uh, your point of view, and I think most importantly, um, I think all of us need to be re- willing to to listen. If all we do is defend our past actions, I I don't think that's enough. Yeah. You know? So it's somehow it's about listening, and then from that listening, becoming better. And I've seen it in our governor. Our, our governor um, really impresses me in this regard. I was I was at a press conference about a month ago. It was on the Utah Leads Together when he released, uh, I guess it was volume three of that plan, but part of that plan dealt with the multicultural subcommittee of Utah Leads Together and our COVID-19 response. And I, I saw the governor interacting with uh, some of the leadership of the multicultural subcommittee and he, I just heard him saying, what do you need? I'll get it. What do you need? I want to be there for you, you know, and I—that's I, just a behind-the-scenes thing. But I—I I, I do think it's genuine and and sincere in our state. And so, the ABC members uh, be willing to uh, be reflective, to look in the mirror, uh, to listen, and um, and then commit to action.
0: And listening goes back to that behavioral change. So, yeah, it's a, it's an art form and it's a skill. So, yeah, I, listening definitely. Um, if there's one piece of advice you'd like to impart on our listeners today as a business owner um, in the construction industry or an employee of the construction industry, what would it be?
1: Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in the here and now and say uh, wear face coverings. Okay, that's a good one. Well, the reason I'm going to say it is it's the closest thing we have to um, keeping our economy functioning and protecting public health. And Chris, I have in my hand right here a study Where they looked at 172 studies across 16 countries and six continents. This was just released. It's uh, published in The Lancet. It's got a date of June 27th, 2020. So it's just two days Uh, old at the time of our recording. And it is a compelling piece that makes the case that masks significantly lower the risk of transmission. So I want to see us. uh, I have a son that was furloughed. I want to see him back at work. Right, right. we gotta wear face coverings.
0: That's a good one. Okay, in this current business environment brought on by COVID-19 and the current um, social environment, the social unrest, um, and as we address inclusivity, define leadership, define leadership in this current environment.
1: I think of leadership as navigating change. Uh, I think of leadership as seeing around corners rallying a coalition, uh, creating a change vision, communicating that vision, executing uh, on the vision, and creating short-term wins that build confidence and create an environment for success.
0: And it's time for everybody to show up.
1: (laughs) That was a long series of things. We got it. Well, essentially you got it. I think of management as navigating complexity And I think of leadership as navigating change. So you've got to figure out how to see around the corner and get us anticipate what's happening and get us to the place we want to be.
0: Yeah, and at times that anticipation and projection can be tough, but that's we we have to move forward and that's the way it has to go. Is there anything I should have asked but I didn't? Is there anything you want to impart with us or anything you want to share that I didn't ask?
1: Well, I'll just share that I have a real appreciation for people that uh, build. Uh, you know, I work in public policy; it's my office is stacked with papers, uh, and it has its own value. But people that create things are, um do amazing things, and my husband's a furniture maker, so ah. he, is, yeah, he's in a controlled shop with really tight tolerances because furniture makers can't deal with the tolerances of home builders and <laughs> and the like. But I know how. Nobody gets it if they have, don't have to build themselves. <laughs> uh, I know how easy it is to dream up things, but then it's a lot harder to have to build things. So I'll just say to your members that I both have a real appreciation for building, somewhat of an understanding just because it's in my family. Uh, and also when I, I ride my bike a lot, but when I'm either cycling or driving by a construction site and I see those people out there working, I swell with pride because I, I it's honorable work.
0: Yeah. They're amazing people, amazing people, yeah. Okay, Natalie, with that, it's a wrap. Thanks again for providing uh, the intelligent and insightful commentary on the state of our state, as well as specifically the construction industry. Utah is blessed to have you leading out on policy, development, and the creation of a successful economy, pathway for all of us. You know and as i as i look around at other states um and look at how how they are navigating or not navigating through this whole not only the pandemic but the current social conversation that we're in i tell people constantly that there's no other state i would rather live in right now than utah and i and we have you and the work you're doing and the work that the institute is doing to thank for that so thank you very much
1: it's been my pleasure thank you so much
0: yeah thank you for joining us um, listeners if you want to continue to follow natalie um, look her up on her radio program both sides of the aisle on kcpw public radio and also watch and listen for our next constructive conversations podcast um, and make sure that you tune in let us know what you're curious about as it pertains to the utah construction industry another thank you to our abc annual diamond sponsors mountain states fence RNO Construction. Wadman Corporation, Keir Construction, Whitaker Construction, Big D Construction, Select Health, Cap Construction, and Sink Constructors. They're all ABC Diamond Levels. And again, thank you for your sponsorship. Contractors, if you require any assistance on any COVID-19 best practices, please visit our ABC Utah COVID-19 repository for information at abcutah.org. And remember, let's all work safely. Thank you for your time. We're glad that you chose to listen into Constructive Conversations, a podcast for the Utah construction industry. And stay tuned for more conversations.